God. And uh, Lord, again, we're just asking that Jesus would be seen, or that the Word of God would come alive to our hearts, or that we would change us from within. Uh, Lord, I pray, God, that uh, Lord, that you have something for every person here. And, uh, and so, Lord, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts and that, Lord, we would uh, apply what we, uh, Lord, Lord, what we hear from you today. And again, that you would give us more than just head knowledge, more than just information, God, that you would transform us to make us more like Jesus. But we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we conclude, we are finishing this series called 52. Um, if you are visiting, if you haven't been with us, um, we have been doing this series through the fall based on the book of Nehemiah, this Old Testament book. Um, we're, we're, we're drawing the inspiration for this series from that book. It comes from this Old Testament uh, man named Nehemiah, the principles from the book, how they apply to us. Uh, this is an Old Testament book or story of Israel's history, um, but I also believe that it is a, it's a type, it's a symbol, a prophetic picture, if you will, of the church and the people of the church and the vision and mission of the church. It's a story of redemption, it's a story of healing, of restoration, of rebuilding. Um, and so this book is a, it's a real world story in Israel's history, but I think it points us once again, to a greater reality, the work of the kingdom of God, the advancement of the gospel of the church. And as it was in that time, there was a mission and a vision to accomplish. Um, and I believe that it was a that revealed the gospel and the good news of Jesus. I think when we read the Old Testament, sometimes we can get a little lost and say, well, how does that apply to me? It all points to Jesus. And it's Again, it is, it's the real walls of Jerusalem that have been torn down. Um, Jerusalem um, had been uh, invaded by the armies. God had told the people to turn back to me. If you don't turn back to me, if you keep doing things your own way, the walls of Jerusalem will be torn down. You will be taken in captivity. You will be sent in exile. It's somewhat of a picture of sinfulness. It's when we are living our own lives and we are rejecting God, we are becoming God of our own lives, our heart, the, the, the walls of our lives, the, the thing that we feel is so secure, it's crumbled down. And it's a mess. And that was in the time of Israel's history over and over again. We see the prophets making the call come back to God, come back to God, and they would push against God. And so they had these consequences where they were sent to exile. They were held captive. And, and, and the New Testament talks about that when we are in sin, that we are held captive by our sin. That we are like prisoners more sinfulness. But in that story, there is good news that God begins to bring the people back to Jerusalem. He begins to restore back to them, and He speaks to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, who is this Old Testament picture, um, this Old Testament person, and this picture of, of what God wanted to do with restoration, He calls him to a vision and mission. He's working for a foreign king, and He said, Go back to Jerusalem and begin to rally the people and rebuild the wall. And so, we've been looking at this, again, this Old Testament historical story, but also how it applies to our lives when we to do the things that God has called us to do. We begin to turn back to God. We give our hearts. We give our lives to God. He begins to take us and work with us and to rebuild us, restore us, redeem us, because that is the good news of Jesus. And so the, the key verse that we've been looking at, this is kind of the good news part of it. A lot leads up to here. 
But it says on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. That's the good news. That's what God wants to do. He wants to rebuild our lives, rebuild our hearts. He wants us to take the gospel of Jesus and the key lives we rebuilt, restored, and redeemed by His grace. And so, what led up to this good news, the principles that we look up to at this point are uh, what, what Nehemiah did when he heard, he got word, the walls were torn down. He kind of takes this honest inventory of his own heart, the hearts of the people, and, he, and, he, and he's transparent before God, and he's basically saying, we've gotten ourselves into this mess because we rejected you, God. And he begins to understand and acknowledge that they have rejected God, and he takes ownership of that. That no one got us here but us. God, it's not your fault. And he begins to pray. And the first things out of his mouth are not, you know, he hears that the walls of Jerusalem are torn down. And he doesn't do this. He doesn't say, why, oh God, why, why, why are we in this mess? He just, the first thing he says is, God, you are great, you are marvelous, and you are filled with unfailing love. And he just declares who God is. And so he begins to pray. And that idea of, of, of praying is, again, prayer is more than just bringing our uh, requests to God. That is a part of prayer. But the chief focus of prayer is relationship with God. Know that we pray because we want to know Him and be known by Him. Then he, his prayer turns into declaring the right to repentance. And that is, a, that is the reason why they got here is, again, relationship with God and then repentance. Repentance is restoring relationship back to God. If I have forsaken you, now I take ownership. Repentance means I was going this way and I'm turning around and now I'm going an opposite way. I was doing my own thing, now God, I am living your way. That's, that's kind of the picture of repentance. And so he begins to repent, to restore that relationship with God. Then God calls him. He has favor with the king. He goes back to Jerusalem. And God begins to give them a vision, a mission, and purpose. As God will begin to do, as you are walking with God, he will give you a vision, a mission, and purpose for your own life as well as the church. And that purpose is to be committed to what he's calling you to do, be connected to the mission and the body of Christ. But then we know that there was an enemy when, when, when Jerusalem and Nehemiah began to gather the people and they began the good work. We talked about what? Spiritual warfare. The enemy is not just going to lay back and be happy with you walking with God and doing the things that God has called you to do. There was an attack. And, and spiritual warfare is a reality. And in the New Testament, Paul tells us that we are all in a spiritual battle. It's a battle for our hearts. The battle for our minds, the battle for our very souls, and Paul says that we don't we don't wrestle, we don't wage war against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against each other. That this is a this is a war this is warfare against a spiritual enemy. That there is a reality to the warfare, and that we have to fight and we have to fight the right way. And then we last time we uh, we still we talked about how we fight the spiritual weapons that we fight with. And I won't get into those. You can get that studio since we're online too long. But today we conclude this series uh, by looking at, I believe, an incredibly essential principle that the church must walk in if we are to see our lives restored, rebuilt, and to see the vision and mission of the church um, walk in its fullness. And it is, I believe it's a non-negotiable to advancing the gospel, and that is unity spiritual unity. And you're going to see in Scripture the absolute importance 
of unity. As we unpack this today, you will see that it's not only important for you individually, but for us as a church and what that means. There is a battle against unity. That's one of the ways the enemy will try to divide us. He tries to separate us. He tries to drive a wedge in between. He tries to make us turn on each other. He tries to make us fight against each other. And we talked a little bit about some of his weapons of offense, unforgiveness, how I get my feelings hurt, and and also the way we fight against that is forgiveness with the allowance of each other's faults. And so this thing he wants, the enemy wants us to tear us apart where we begin to split and begin to lead each other. I um, came across this a few weeks ago in my preparation for this, but there's a guy that does a blog named Tom Rainer. And he deals with church life and different things that happen in church. And he just had uh, this blog about church conflict. And he, he's kind of talking about what I've been talking about, how the enemy wants us to fight silly battles. And so in his blog, he lists these are actual conflicts that have happened in church. Okay? These are real stories that he has gathered and, and, and fighting over the wrong things. It's, fighting the wrong battle. So the church argument and vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. So there was an argument and they had to make a vote on it. There was a 45-minute heated argument in a church business meeting over the type of filing cabinet purchase. Black or brown, two, three, or four is ordered. These are real. These are true. A deacon accused another deacon of sending an anonymous letter, and they decided to settle the dispute by a fist fight in the parking lot. Deacons, relax, okay. A dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. Did you know that that's a big deal? Business meeting arguments about whether the church could purchase a weed whacker or not. It took two business meetings to resolve this. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee used. In one of the churches, some of the members left the church because of the dispute. Left the church because of the type of coffee. Some church members left the church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. It resulted in a major fight and split in the church. Now, I don't know whether to laugh at these or cry at these. You know, you have that feeling of, like, oh, it's not really that funny. Kind of disturbing in one sense, but you see how the enemy works. And if people do it over carpet colors, you know, what types of lighting, and people get into these heated disputes and arguments, and there are literally people's lives and souls on the line in the gospel of Jesus is to be advancing people fighting over carpet. And the enemy stands back and he laughs at the church. So if I can get them to fight over coffee, they are going to be worthless to advance the kingdom. So these are his tactics and his schemes to get us off of focus. And I think one of his major battlegrounds is the battle against unity within the church. Why is it so heated there? You're going to see it as we, as we look at Scripture. And so we, we, have to, we have to guard our hearts to not be fighting the wrong battles, fighting for silly things, ridiculous things. But it's an effective battle that he uses. And so Nehemiah 3, the, the kind of the text today, is just some phrases that pop out. And I, I want you to say the first one. Say next to them. Come on, say it better. Next to them. 
and together they built. Come on. You will see that phrase over and over in Nehemiah 3. Nehemiah 3 is a list of people, and I talked about this some weeks ago when we were talking about our purpose and our vision and our mission. It, there were these people that were next to each other, and they were rebuilding the wall, and they were next to each other, and together they built. It's the picture and the power of unity at work. Next to each other, together they built the wall. We need each other. Christianity was never intended to be a lone ranger type of thing. That you kind of do things on your own and you're not connected to the body of Christ. The whole idea, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, about being connected to the body of Christ is to be together. The body can't survive if it is disconnected. If you remove parts of the body, it will lose its lifeblood and it will cease to be effective. It won't work anymore. A lot of people say, well, I don't need the church. I don't need the people of the church to be a Christian. I understand that. And technically, maybe you can be a Christian. But that's not, if you look at the Bible, that's not what God intended for you and me. It was to be connected to be in unity, one with the other. Because the opposite of unity is division, right? Division. Two visions or split vision. In other words, when we come in and God's given us a vision and a mission to advance the gospel, and what we do is we begin, to, we begin to push off each other and say, well, I've got my own way to work that out. And when you've got your, instead of coming together, you, the, the vision splits and it's division. Two visions. We're called to be together. We're called to be next to each other, working together under the vision that God has given God has called us to be in unity in our own church family and in unity in the body of Christ with other believers. It's not just about fear. It's about the body of Christ at large. And just as I read that, and, and you know, the stories go on and on, Christians aren't the most unified people. There's so much tearing down of each other. There's, you know, small churches, and they'll tear down all the big churches, those big gigantic churches. Big churches are not right. And then the big churches go, you little churches aren't doing much. And then it's charismatic versus non-charismatic, and it's reformed versus not reformed, and it's this versus that. And, and, and we can we find all these things to tear down other believers, will they? I don't like that church. And then it becomes this competitive thing as opposed to we are all, we should all be on the same vision and same mission to advance the gospel. Now, I'm not talking about non-negotiables. You know, the non-negotiables are Jesus' name. He was born of a virgin. He lived the sin of life. He died on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of mankind. He rose from the dead. He's the only way to salvation. And he's the only way that we get forgiveness of sin. He's returning again, as he said, and we have eternal life because of him. The Word of God is truth, and it tells us what sin is and sin isn't, and it dictates us. We don't dictate it. Those are non-negotiables. Now, if there are other... If there are other Moved, I'll call them. I don't know. You know, Christians or churches, and, they, and, they, and they're going against the non-negotiables. I would have, you know, I'm not saying we still tear them down, but we just say we wouldn't agree with that. So there are non-negotiables, and I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about what we have in common when we agree on the non-negotiables. The enemy knows that if we fight over things that don't matter, it renders us ineffective. But if we begin to be unified, we can be effective the way God wants us to, to spread the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus. 
Let's look at Paul's prayer in Romans 15. We're going to look at the importance of unity. So you've got that Nehemiah. They were next to him. Together they were. Look at what Paul says. And he thinks that it's, it's important. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Pretty convicting. So that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to what? Bring praise to who? Our unity brings praise to God. What's Paul saying? He treat each other like Jesus treats you. How does Jesus treat us? Have the same attitude and mind toward each other as Jesus does you. Love each other like Jesus loves you. So why should we have the same attitude of mind? Same attitude of mind. It's so that with one mind and one voice we may glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are in unity, when we are in unity together, it brings glory to God. Accept one another as Christ accepts you and to bring praise to God. And so why do we exist? We exist to bring glory and praise to Jesus. And when we are in unity, we praise Him. We bring glory to Him. We bring joy to Him. This prayer parallels the, the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. This high priestly prayer, right before Jesus was to go to the cross, John chapter 17. Here's the cool thing. We have a prayer in the Bible of Jesus praying for us. So let's look at it. So this is parallels very much with what Paul said, John 17. Where you see the uh, the underlined in bold, I want you to say that when I get to it, okay? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message so that they all, all, all of them, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that you may be one as we are one in them and you in me so that they may be brought to Pretty powerful, isn't it? The world will know what? That you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. In this prayer, Jesus is given a conditional promise. What is a conditional promise? He's saying, you know what? I want the world to know that I came, but it's, con- it's conditional on your unity with one another. In other words, when you're not walking in unity and you're fighting over coffee, it screams to the world that Jesus is not real. It screams to the world that God did not send Jesus. Because he said, when you walk in unity, it reveals that the Father sent me. And so Paul prays for unity in Romans. Jesus prayed for our unity so that the world will know that God sent Jesus. In our unity, we present the Christmas story to those around us. Right? That Jesus came. When we love each other and we walk in unity, it reveals to the world that that's true. 
So we can say it all we want, but if we are saying one thing and we are treating our brothers and our sisters in Christ with disdain, our message is ineffective. He is seen in our unity. So unity is huge. Why is this so important? You see this play out in families all the time. You know, my brother, my sister, myself, we get along well now as adults. You know, we, we, we get along pretty pretty well. It wasn't always like that. When we were kids riding in a car on a long trip, because my dad was in the military, and so to go to family reunions, we, we, we logged a lot of time in the car. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. She had three kids in the back seat of this car. All right, so you've got my brother who is now, he's like six five. He's always been just larger than life. And he sits with his legs spread as far wide open as possible. <clears throat> my sister's on the other side. He is just like this. My sister's on, I'm in the middle. He's on the other side. He doesn't want to be touched or breathed on. You're touching me. You're touching me. You're breathing on me. You're touching me. And my brother's like, I'm in the middle. I'm the innocent one. I was the good one. I was, I was the pure little spotless lamb right in the middle of these two wolves. And brought my brother, you know, he was pushing me, and then she, you're touching me. I was doing that all the time, you know. And we lived that way, and we drove my parents crazy. Kids, your parents used to be normal because of you. And so it would get to the point, you know, my mom was kind of, she'd get, get irritated. Dad was pretty laid back, but he'd get to that, he'd have that snappy moment, you know. And then he'd just like doing this kind of, you know, just back, he doesn't know, he's making contact with people. And I'm in the middle, so I'm getting the worst of it. And I'm like, hey, you know what, what's the deal? Unity. Swatty just twirling all over the road, and me being the sweet one in that. And this, this stuff happened. Maybe this didn't happen here at home. Maybe we were the only weird ones. But uh, you know, and, and, and we would get into stuff in my house. My brother again, he would he'd get on his knees and play with me, and he just rocked me. Uh, I, I, I can say that I got tough because of my brother, but he was huge, you know. And, and we would box and stuff like this, and he'd jab me in the stomach, and I'd you know, knock the breath out of me, and I'd start crying. He'd be like, be quiet, Mom and Dad won't let us play anymore. And I'm like, is this a bad thing? Or he'd get on his knees and say, all right, here's throw the football to me, see if you can make it to the wall. And of course, you know, you're challenging me, and he would just throttle me, and just, and I would end up crying, and my sister would be in the door, we would see her. It's a little like a creepy horror movie, too. He's there brushing this baby doll hair and she just wait for us to do something. I'm telling you. And so we fought like cats and dogs. Again, yeah, maybe we're weird. You know, I'm, I'm just confessing some things, but we get along now. This kind of sounds like a church Because the church is like a family. We all got our little quirks. Some of the things were pure driven people like me. I was not pure by any stretch, believe me. Like I had to tell you about that. Um, 
But why is it that we fight against each other so much? We can turn on each other. We badmouth each other. We ridicule, maybe, again, what other churches or denominations do or don't do. Look at these couple of scriptures here. James 5, don't grumble against each one another, brothers and sisters, for you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. You think unity is important to God? Galatians 5, for the entire law is filled in keeping this one thing, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. I think Paul was in my house that bite and devour each other. Because he said, this is a reality. This can be what happens if the church begins to turn on each other. And we have to recognize, again, not living in fear of the enemy, not living just to kind of what he's been doing all the time, but to recognize that this is time. That we turn on each other. Again, this doesn't mean that we always agree. You know, unity is not uniformity, right? It's actually loving each other when we don't agree. And it's working with one another. And we need to understand that the attack of the enemy, that we, we have a common enemy, right? We have a common enemy, and when we, when we forget that, we turn on each other. I, I'm a Redskins fan. You guys are a Vikings fan. Don't talk fast to me. We all don't like the Cowboys. Come on. We have a common enemy. It should unify us. Bring us together. Don't be mad at me just because the Redskins have beat the Vikings in some major games and we've won Super Bowls and you guys haven't. Can you feel the love? Jokingly, uh, joking aside, we have a common enemy when we understand that we have a common enemy. It should make us lock arms even stronger, even to the point of saying, you know, even when we have the truth of conflict and conflict, we will have it. We have it in normal things, we have it in marriage, we have it in our children, we have it in the family of God. But we say, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm going to continue to walk on with you. We're going to continue to run the race together. The enemy's mission is Jesus comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to steal the unity in the family of God. He wants to kill the power that unity brings. And you see through the scripture the power that unity brings. And he wants to destroy the influence that the body of Christ has. Right? That's what he wants to do. Make you and me and make us ineffective. So when we understand that we have a common enemy that's doing this, we get the revelation that we can do infinitely more together, working side by side than we can apart. So I'm going to get happy with you, please. So here's three reasons. I'm going to wind it down here, but here's three reasons to walk in unity. Number one, we desperately need each other. I don't care what you think about, you know, again, your walk with the Lord. We desperately need each other. Romans 12, 5, 3, in Christ, we, though being many, form one body, and each member what? Belongs to the others. We belong to each other. We belong to one another. We're not to do this alone. We, we are in one body, but we belong to each other. 
We're different. We have different functions. Again, uni- unity is not the same as uniformity or universalism. It means that we have strength in our differences and our uniqueness. In spite of the difference, we love each other, we honor each other. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to have conflict or disputes. That, that would be, it'd be just weird if we said that it would be certain to be that. There's always that. We're all broken. You're going to have opinions. I'm going to have opinions. We might have disagreements. But let's continue to love and honor one another. That actually is what seems the anthem of unity. Because here's the thing. You can reach people that I can't in your sphere of influence. The people that God brought into your life. Other churches, they can reach people that we can, right? We need to celebrate what others are doing in the body of Christ to win souls to Jesus instead of comparing, competing, or tearing them down. Honor what they're doing. Speak well of other believers. Speak well of other churches and ministries. And I'm not talking about people that are in blatant error and they're, you know, some of those issues. I'm talking about what people are are really living in the body of Christ. Because here's the thing, and, I, and, I, and as I started out, you know, talking about these silly vacuum cleaner, coffee, carpet, lighting, diffuse, violent cabinets, diffuse, you know, there are, there are believers in the world that are being persecuted and beheaded because of the faith. They're a part of us. They belong to us, and we belong to them. And folks, let that give you perspective when you're tempted to get angry over something silly. When you're getting, when you're, when you're tempted to leave the church because of some kind of silly thing, keep your eyes and the vision and the mission of Jesus. There are people laying in their lives and they are being beheaded for their faith right now in the world. Let it give you perspective. There's too much at stake. We desperately need each other. Number two. So we desperately need each other. The world will see God's love. That's why the point of unity, the world will see God's love. When we are unified, the world sees us actively and intentionally revealing God's love together. They have plenty of the backbiting and meanness and unforgiveness among uh, in the world. They find that in their homes and they find that at jobs. We don't need to come to the church and find more of that. They're not going to come into our midst if they don't see anything different. But when they begin to see us loving each other, even though we may not agree on everything, it draws to us they see the love of Christ. And so our Romans can accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. The Greek word for accept is interesting. It's a very long word. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But it means to properly, aggressively receive with strong personal interest. There is imagery there after all right, here's, here's what that word, there's an imagery of that word. It's to take somebody by the hand and brace them, okay? This is accept one another, and then take them by the hand and walk with them. That's what it means to accept love. Even though he talks about it sometimes. That imagery is to actively is to accept one another. So, you know, we get lost sometimes in the English language versus accept, well, acceptance, blah, blah, blah. Now, this means actively embrace, actively, actively disciple is to come alongside and say, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna walk this journey together. 
Paul says, accept one another just as Christ, because that's how Christ accepts us, right? When we say, Jesus, I need you, He embraces us. He accepts us that way. He takes us and He says, I don't want you to do this alone. I want to love you and walk with you in this walk with me. And He says, accept each other just as Christ accepts you because that brings praise to God. How did Jesus accept us? While we were still sinners, He accepted us. While we were still sinners, Christ died. He demonstrates His love in us that while we were yet sinners, Christ gave His life. And that's the cutest assistant I've ever had up in my life. This is how Jesus accepts us. And so we may be different with different personalities, different quirks, different issues, but we are called to accept each other in this way. And when we love this way, the world sees something beautiful happen. They see Jesus revealed in and through us. When we begin to accept others, they feel the acceptance of Christ. Do you get the importance? If they say, you guys are accepting each other like that, maybe Christ can accept me. Because I have things in my past, and I have things that the enemy tries to condemn me. I have things that I'm, that I'm so ashamed of, and I have things that I wrestled with. Can God really forgive me? And then when they come in, and then our midst, and they see us accepting and loving each other, they say, maybe Jesus can accept me until we reveal the love of Christ. In John 13, what does Jesus say? He just said, I'm here, I'm giving you a new command. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's weighty, isn't it? We need to love each other the way Jesus loves me. By this, Jesus said, by this. By what? Loving each other the way I love. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How is the world going to know that we're disciples and followers of Jesus? By loving each other like that. You see the importance of unity. People will know that we're followers of Jesus by our love for one another. Not by our music, not by our doctrine, not by our denominational preferences, but by our love for one another. Those things are important to the place, but we must first love each other the way Jesus loved us. We must accept each other the way Jesus accepts us. And here's the only description that says, don't tell me you're a follower of Jesus. I don't want to hear you say I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus don't tell me that you're my follower. Here's how people are going to know. Here's how the world's going to know. Do you love and accept each other? <clears throat> Number three, closing up with this. Important to you, we can accomplish more together than God. The church is the body of Christ. The body is supposed to function together with and it's supposed to stay together, be connected together, working together, side by side, being together. And we can accomplish more together than we can apart. I believe that the local church has the opportunity to both be the most influential force on planet Earth because we have the one who saved in us and working through us really good. We have the hope of the world. All the desperation that we see out there, all the darkness that we see out there, all the hurt, the pain, the suffering, 
the terrorism, the stuff that we can look all the we have the answer, we have the hope, we have the the, 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 the answer to our life's difficult questions. His name is Jesus. So we can accomplish way more together than we can apart. The power of unity, the implications are way bigger than we realize. You see, the first century church, they had no formal education, they had no split church campaigns. They had love and acceptance for one another. Look at the description here in Acts 4. All the believers were what? United in heart and mind, right? And they felt that what they owned was not their own. They, be- they, they had this understanding we, we belong to each other. And so, my stuff is not mine. First of all, it's God's. Second of all, it's for the church, it's for the kingdom, it's for the mission. I'm not saying that you, you know, even Paul said, not that you give away your stuff, but that you suffer. But we should be diligent to give. We should be given, giving our time, our talents, our resources, because what we're understanding is we're saying that it's not mine anyway when I belong to Jesus. They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing that upon them all. There were, look at this, no needy people among them. When the church, you see, you see what the church can accomplish? It's because those who own land or houses would sell them and they would bring the money to the apostles to give me. In other words, what they're doing is that this a person to the church, they would just bring money to the church and say the apostles and say, need the means, do ministry. This is, this is a picture of the church. This is why we take up an offering. People go, well, is the church always about taking the money? Absolutely not. We're about our hearts uniting together to say that we can accomplish way more together than we can apart. That when we give of our time and our resources and energy, that we can touch more people. And so back in the way the church would function, they would they would sell big chunks of things and they would just give it to the apostles and say, minister to people. And, and in that region, in the area, there was no needed people among them. So this is the revelation that I belong to something greater than myself. My life is in my own. My stuff is in my own. And the result was this powerful testimony that Jesus is among them and he's meeting needs and he's touching, he's using the church, he's using us to build the wall of the church and to restore people's lives for, for the sake of the gospel. Because people may not, they, not they, they may not give what we believe yet, but when, when they see our unity, our love for each other, our acceptance, of each other, they will be drawn to him. And there is that old adage, and we had it up in our, in our lobby one time, that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. We're not going to win people by arguing doctrine with them. No, we're supposed to walk in strong doctrine, know the Word of God. But I don't know too many people that have been debated into the gospel. But when people have been loved, and they see the love that we have for one another, and they see unity, they see acceptance, because what they're seeing, they're seeing Christ revealed, and they go, I want to know what you guys have. So 
I believe Jesus is saying, I want you to do more than talk with the love of Jesus. I want you to do more than say that you're my followers. I want you to love each other. The new command that I give you is to love each other. This is how you will know that they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Guys, unity, the implications of unity are way more powerful than you ever realize. We need to pray and ask God to help us to love each other, to accept each other, to forgive each other, walk hand in hand with each other, and reveal the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you today. God, thank you again for your word that is truth. Lord, that you have set a, a path and a, and a plan out for us, God, to reveal the gospel and how we love each other and how we accept each other and how we walk in unity with each other. Lord, forgive us when we have gotten upset by petty things. Lord, when we've let silly things affect our hearts. Lord, I pray for unity in this church. I pray for unity in families. I pray for unity in marriages. I pray for unity both with parents and their children. God, because we know that the enemy wants to break us apart and make us turn on one another. And that, God, we would see that we have a common enemy that is trying to steal, steal, kill, and destroy us. God, that you have come to give us life and that we would walk in love and the life of Christ to reveal the gospel. Lord, we pray through this place, God, that we would understand that we belong to you. We belong to each other. And that would motivate us. Lord, that as long as we have breath, that we would advance the good news of Jesus every day. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray. And everyone say, Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Have a great New Year's celebration. Hopefully we'll see you on Wednesday evening for the movie The War Room. God bless you. Have an awesome day. <laughs>